Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Up, everybody. Hey, my name is Brent. Have we met? Yeah? yeah y'all are, now you're all quiet. I know I'm not as interesting as Dion and, and our, okay. What's up, everybody? My name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and we're going to continue to experience God together today. Uh, check this out. We had 13 people, uh, uh, I'm sorry, three people physically healed in the last seven days. Yep, yep. We also had 526 people sign up and become part of uh, groups this past week as they got launched. Yep. That's awesome. If you're not in a group somewhere, join the party, jump in a group. It's still just getting started, so a lot of groups have space. And so jump in a group. It's going to be a blast. All right, so, so this is a fun time to be part of the Tampa Bay area if you are into sports. Now, if you're not into sports, you probably could care less. But if you're into sports like I am, this is a fun time to be part of the Tampa Bay community. I mean, we got people coming out of nowhere. The Bucks came out of obscurity last year. Anybody notice that? I know, I know all of you are like Monday morning quarterbacks that now you're like, oh, I knew they were going to win the Super Bowl. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. By NFL power ranking status, they were number 13, 13th power ranked team at the start of the season. Even going into the playoffs, they were still fifth. They weren't even all that high. Uh, uh, so in other words, they were the 13th strength, they thought. Um, nobody really saw this coming. In fact, the first half of last year, the Bucks were not even all that good. It was not till the end of the season that they caught fire and everything started to click. And, and we started to celebrate that. But, but you see that with the Bucks. You see that with the Rays. Nobody thought the Rays were going to the World Series last year year and still looking pretty good today. I'm sorry for all you Yankee fans. I'm sorry you spend a half trillion dollars on your payroll, but you're still like 10 games behind the Rays. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got the mic. I can say what I want. I'm sorry for all the Northerners here that like your hockey team and you don't even know why we have a hockey team in Tampa and the Lightning keep winning championships. I don't know. I don't know why we have a hockey team here, but we keep winning. teams that have kind of come out of a story of uh, Kyle Trask. Anybody know the story of Kyle Trask? He's our second round pick for the, for the Bucks this year. Um, never, started a, never started a game in high school. Like never started a game. How do you even make it in college when you never started a game in high school? Um, never started a game in high school. Ended up getting an opportunity at the University of Florida. Never played at the University of Florida until his junior year, or barely played until his junior year. And he did okay his junior year, but out of nowhere, his senior year, he throws for 4,000 yards. I think it was 43 touchdowns and seven interceptions his, his senior year. Coming out of obscurity to become something uh, great, actually the Cotton Bowl. And you're like, nobody saw that coming. 
Where did that come from? I love those kind of stories, right? Where, where, where people are champions that come from obscurity. And if you love that kind of story, you're going to love the champion story in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, Samuel is this prophet of the Old Testament. He would go around and hear God's voice and speak on behalf of God. And he had anointed this first king of Israel, this guy by the name of Saul. And Saul's a very interesting character because he starts well and ends poorly. If we learned anything from the Bucks last year, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Come on, y'all. Saul starts great, ends poorly, and he doesn't do so well at the end of his career. In fact, God takes his anointing or his authority from God off of him. And so he is still in office, but he doesn't have the power of God to... Uh, on him any longer. The authority of God is not on him any longer, which just reminds me that you can still be in a place of authority, but not have God's authority on you because you can be in the place of authority and God has already taken his hand off of you. He's just leaving you in office while he prepares the next person. It's always a scary thing that we need to take seriously. And so, so, so the prophet Samuel is mourning what has happened with Saul because he anointed Saul and he seemed to like Saul. He was a, he was a counselor for Saul and, and he's mourning what has happened with Saul? And, and God speaks to him and says, hey, stop mourning, bro. Like, stop mourning. It's time to go choose the next king of Israel. And so Samuel's like, listen, if I go choose the next king of Israel, like, I could be killed for that. If, if Saul finds out that I'm anointing another king, like, this could be bad. And so he says, let me do it incognito. And, and, and God says, go to the house of Jesse. So in order to be incognito, Samuel calls Jesse up on the cell phone. And he's like, Jesse, I'm coming. You get the idea. Uh, he said, Jesse, I'm coming and you need to consecrate yourselves. We're going to have a, a, a feast. We're going to have a, a, a sacrificial offering together. So consecrate yourselves. And Jesse's like, hey, is this a good coming or a bad coming? Because like when the prophet comes, that could be a good thing or it could be like, you know, hammer down kind of thing. And that's where we pick up the story right here in 1 Samuel 16, verses 5 through 13. 1 Samuel 16, 5 through 13. Samuel replied, Yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. That's a, that's a heavy word. The Lord does not look at things people look at people look at the outward appearance but the lord looks at the the lord looks at the uh-huh then jesse called abinadab and had him pass in front of samuel but samuel said the lord does not choose this one either jesse then had shama pass by he's getting all his kids but samuel said no nor has the lord chosen this one jesse had seven of his sons pass before samuel but samuel said to them the lord has not chosen these so he asked jesse are these all the sons you have There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he went, he went, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Somebody say that with me. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David, and and, uh, Samuel went on to Ramah from there. Went on to Ramah. Are you all ready this morning? 
I often tell people, it's, it's kind of a saying I have, but it's true, uh, there's greatness inside of you. In fact, one of the things I use quite a bit when I talk to people is I say this, your potential is my mission. I believe that God has deposited greatness inside of many people that never actually comes out of them. It gets harbored inside. It's ideas and dreams and thoughts and, and visions that they have that never actually comes out of them. And I believe it's important for you to realize what's inside of you. And sometimes you need somebody else to encourage the very thing that you know is inside of you, but you feel all alone in that feeling. And, and you find out what you really are, if there's greatness in us or not. You know, when life comes at you, as it has many of us the past year or year and a half or so with COVID and just life issues on top of that, uh, when life comes at you, and levels you and lays you out and you're lying on your back trying to breathe and not sure if you can get up or not. When you get hit with that punch of life that you did not see coming and you're lying on the mat, you'll find out what you're made of. You'll find out what's inside of you, not just what's outside of you. You'll find out if you can keep moving forward, if you can keep getting back up. You'll find out what is really inside of you in those kind of moments. And I'm convinced that in this room there is some greatness inside of people that oftentimes lies dormant because we live normal lives, we live passive lives. We'd rather fit in than stand out when God is calling you to stand out. I wonder around this room, do you realize that there's greatness inside of you? Because it doesn't really matter what I think. We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. But it doesn't really matter what I think. It really matters what you know about yourself. Because I can speak all kinds of things over you, but until you realize what's inside of you, it'll never come out of you. Until you realize that you are Superman wearing Clark Kent glasses, Clark Kent glasses, and, all the, and you don't take the glasses off to reveal what's inside of you, then you'll go around like Clark Kent, who nobody really cared much about. But when you step into your greatness, you start to reflect God's glory. And God's glory starts to reflect through you and shine through you. So we love these great moments. We love watching the Bucks in the Super Bowl beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Sorry, Chiefs fans. It happened. I'm just telling history. When nobody gave the Bucks a shot to go through these teams, and, and nobody thought that they could beat the, the New Orleans Saints because the Saints had beat them handedly twice already in the season. Nobody expected they were going to win in the playoffs. And then you got Aaron Rodgers coming in, or coming in, we're going to him, and Green Bay. Nobody thought we could go to Green Bay and beat the Packers. They were the team that should have been in the Super Bowl, everybody thought. And then when you get to the Super Bowl, and we're facing the Kansas City Chiefs, and nobody really gave us a shot, because Patrick Mahomes is going to throw the ball all over us, and we have no shot. And he pretty much did. He was an amazing, amazing player in that game. But something right from deep within the players that say, I don't care what everybody else says about me. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what the publicity says. I don't care what the fans say. I don't care what, what this or that. Something inside of me says, no, no, we can do this. Yeah. We can yeah, do this. Right, right. There's greatness inside of you that's longing to come out. And sometimes you just need somebody to agree with that greatness. And so whether that be the story of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the lightning, the rays, or whether that be the story of David and Goliath that we'll get into in the following weeks, it doesn't matter. The point of the story is that there's something inside of you wanting to come out. Yeah. But what happens is we become unchosen by society oftentimes. And in order to have a coming out party, it meant that you were already under something. Wow. You were already not known. But God chooses the unchosen. Yeah. Let that sink in. 
If you were the last one to get picked in class and you didn't have the greatest grades and you didn't have this and that, and you, if you were the one that other people weren't choosing, it's good for you to know that God chooses the unchosen. So Samuel comes in and he's going to anoint the next king. It's exciting. And he says, consecrate yourselves, get yourselves ready. That means, that means in, other words, in other words, get yourself cleaned up, right? You need to take a shower for crying out loud. Put some deodorant on, put something in your hair if you got some. And... And, and get yourself together, clean out your fingernails, whatever, right? Like, like, get yourself together. He's coming in. This is a celebrity-type person, Prophet Samuel. Next to King Saul, him and King Saul would be the two most famous people at that time. And probably Samuel might even be held in higher esteem than Saul. And so the fact that Saul is coming to your house is a big deal. Kids clean the room. Oh, you know what happens when you... walks into this group that Jesse is going to present to them. These are a group of chosen sons, the, the consecrated, the ones that are holy sons, kingly looking sons. They all look the part. And Eliab walks up first and Jesse, the dad's proud of Eliab. He's my boy. Yeah, he was the starter. He, he got it going on. And, and he looks at Eliab and, and says, and says this, is, this, this is the one. This is the one. Eli was probably, I'm just making this up, but he's probably six foot one, 230 pounds of solid muscle. Uh, kind of looks like Pastor Kimmick. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, he looks the part. That's your favorite line in any sermon so far. <laughs> he looks the part on the outside. And, and when you see him, Jesse's like, oh, this is my boy. This is my boy. Dad, you know what I'm talking about. Your son's got the biceps. He's got the abs that you used to have 40 years ago. And you're like, yeah, I remember he, and so dads do that. And so, so this is my boy. This is my son. And he brings him out and parades him in front of him. And the scary part is that Samuel also says, oh, that's the one. He looks like the one. And, and so Samuel says, this is the one. And he gets ready to anoint him. And God says, no, no, no. He, he's not the one. No, no, no. Back off. Hold up a second. He's, he's not the one. Somebody say he's not the one. <laughs> you see, then, then, then Jesse brings out his other seven sons. And one at a time, brings them in front of Samuel. and says, here it is. This, this has got to be the one then. And he keeps going down the list, probably by ages. It made perfect sense that you would bring out the eldest first. The eldest is the one with all the authority. Every one of them looked like the perfect next king, especially Eliab. The problem is they already had a king that looked perfect on the outside. If you know your Bible, you know that Saul was known as a head taller than every other man. He looked the part. Come on. So, so I saw a picture of Joe Tryon, and I know he added something to his last name, and I can't remember what it is, but I saw a picture of Joe Tryon coming into the NFL. I, mean, I was with Pastor Kieran, and I know we're men, but we're like, look at his body. Because <laughs> men do that. Like, it's not a weird thing. It's just like, that dude got muscles on top of muscles, popping out of muscles. His pimples have muscles. <laughs> weren't, weren't we? <laughs> and that's what these boys look like, man. They look the part, man. And that's what Saul looked like. He looked the part, but God had already had a king that looked the part that wasn't the part. Wow. 
because there was something more going on than just the outward expressions. You know, we, we, we live in a culture right now that is so caught up in this outward focus on externals. See, see, we serve a God who says it's more important what's inside you than what's outside of you, but we live within a culture that says it's more important what's outside than what's inside. And even though we wouldn't say that out of our mouth, we very much live it. Looks matter an enormous amount inside of our culture. And so we fight to stay young as long as we can. The beauty industry is one of the biggest industries in the United States. Why? Because we don't want to get old. We don't want to celebrate the wisdom of age. We want to celebrate the, the vigor of youth. And so we fight to stay young. And so we nip and we tuck and we, and we go to the gym and we work out and we dye our hair and we do all of these different things, which is a little bit scary because as that happens, we neglect the wisdom that comes from age. And as we neglect the wisdom that comes from age, we end up with youthful vigor with no wisdom, which looks a lot like where we are in the United States right now. And so we got grandma still dressing like they're going to the club. Y'all are laughing because in your mind, somebody just popped up. <laughs> so you got grandma still acting like they're going to the club, dressing like they're going to the club, instead of being the one of wisdom that oversees and a patriarch of their family. And so when that happens, all of a sudden we don't have wisdom. It's not being passed down to us. And we're very much this culture that is focused on the externals. And externals matter a lot to us. Not just in the way you're physically built, but things like, what have you accomplished? What are you wearing? What cars are you driving? We instantly hold people in higher standards when they come up in a fancy car compared to a, a beater little car. What car do you drive? What neighborhood do you live in? What titles do you have? How many followers do you have on Instagram? How many people are watching your videos on TikTok? How many people are friends with you on Facebook? And we have all these external things that say you are valuable or not. In the midst of this world, I just want to remind you because we seem to have forgotten that beauty comes from the inside out, not the outside in. Right. True beauty. Right. And in the midst of this, this is why in our culture today, one of the reasons, not like it's the only one, but one of the reasons why so many times we end in divorce because a husband will choose his wife by the way she looks. A wife will choose her husband by the way that he looks. And when you do that, all of a sudden those looks disappear with time. Don't, don't say amen right now because you're next to your spouse. But you know it, you know, things start to sag, you know, life happens. You used to have hair, now you don't have hair or whatever. Thank God it's still cool to be bald. <laughs> and, 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 and so when you, when you choose a spouse mostly on the way they look, what happens when they don't look like that? Because that's going to happen. So 15 years into marriage, now she's not as attractive to you anymore, so you're going to trade her in on a new model because you fell in love with an external, not an internal. And that's happening around our society. We're falling into the very same trap that Samuel was falling into. Wow. It's one thing for Jesse. I get why Jesse would, would think the eldest is the one. That's, his, that's your boy. Come on. I mean, that's your boy. Plus, in that culture, the eldest son had all the authority, the power. That, that makes perfect sense. But Samuel should know better. Right. Samuel had already anointed Saul, who looked apart on the outside, and seen the destruction that happens. So there comes Eliab, and he looks the part on the outside, and Samuel's immediately like, oh, there's the one. And God has to speak to Samuel and say, no, no, have you not, we crossed this bridge before, haven't we? Samuel, haven't we, haven't we dealt with this before? Stop looking at the outside and listen to me what I'm telling you about the inside. 
I don't know who I'm talking to, but you went through one divorce, second divorce. You need to stop looking at the outside and start looking at the inside. How many times are you going to cross that bridge over and over and over? <laughs> That's for somebody. I'll just keep going, though. <laughs> so we don't choose the way that God chooses. He has a unique selection process because he looks at things that you and I cannot see and cannot be measured. They can't be put under a microscope. Uh, he looks at things that are deeper than that. In fact, I, I love the legendary coach, Bobby Bowden of Florida State. Uh, he says it this way at one point. He said this. He said, reputation is what others know about you. Character is what God knows about you. We're becoming a society that is more concerned with reputation than character. We want to look the part even if we're not the part. But God's looking beyond that. God looks deep within us. He sees beyond the debt that you've put yourself in. He sees beyond the background that you grew up in. He sees beyond the DUI that you might have, the conviction, the divorce. He sees beyond these things because he's looking internally, not just on the outside failures or the problems or the strongholds on the outside. God's looking on the inside. And to some of us, that is a very beautiful thing. Because on the outside, you're pretty jacked up. Come on, y'all. Oh, don't say that when your spouse next to you. On the outside, you might not have it all together, but on the inside, there's something amazing. But the truth is, for many other people, especially in our American culture, you put it together on the outside, but the inside, you are not amazing at all. And so you put on a front, you fake it till you make it. You put on a, an image in our image-based society. It looks really good on Instagram, but it might not look really good at home when nobody's looking. And so for many of us, we put on a front. Jesus, his biggest pet peeves was for people who were not authentic and they did that very thing. He would look at Pharisees and he'd say, you are a bunch of whitewashed tombs looking good on the outside, but on the inside full of dead men's bones. In other words, you are a grave that somebody painted to look really pretty. And you got all the makeup on. You got all the right clothes on. You got all the right stuff on the outside. You got the car, you got the house, but on the inside you are dead as dead could be. See, God's not looking the way that we look at things. Yeah. He's looking at something overlooked. You can't see the heart. And David was known as a man after God's own. Heart. Come on, man after God's own. Heart. He was known as somebody that heart was for God, and you wouldn't always see it on the, on the, on the outside, especially when he's a boy at this age and coming up. See, God looks at the heart. Hey, here's a question for you. How's your heart? How's your heart? <laughs> I know on the outside you got it going. You got the spouse, you got the kids, the retirement, whatever. Because you can have it all together on the outside and have nothing on the inside. Can I tell you that's very much what's happening in America right now, where, where especially the younger people in America are being forced to run to counselors over and over and over with depression and anxiety and stress and overwhelming things going on because character on the inside. So anyway, David is overlooked because he doesn't have the outward appearance, but he's not overlooked by God. <laughs> he's not overlooked by God. It reminds me <clears throat> of this person that you've probably heard of. This person um, was not very particularly amazing in high school. In fact, he didn't start playing football till he was a, till he was a uh, freshman in high school. It was the first time he played, started playing football. He was really a baseball star before that. And he decided to play quarterback, but on a team that went 0-8 and, and never scored a touchdown, he was not good enough to ever play. That's not a very good sign for his future. He was the backup on a team that was horrible. Uh, his sophomore year, he would have still been 
You would love him if he went there too. Yeah, you would. If he won a Super Bowl, you So you can't really count that he didn't play. So in the 20 years that he actually played, he's been. Uh, being Brian Greasy was, so Brian Greasy became the starter, so Tom Brady once again didn't play. His junior year, he finally starts for Michigan. Does pretty well, but it wasn't amazing. His senior year, though, they brought in a new strapping young stud of a football player named Drew Henson. Anybody even heard of Drew Henson? Only the Michigan fans. <laughs> and he was going to be the next big thing. He was going to be the next Peyton Manning. He was the next big thing. He looked the part. He was bigger, stronger, faster than Tom Brady. Of course, half this room is faster than Tom Brady. So it's true. <laughs> supposed to be the one. And so they, and over and over for the first half of the season, they would split time. The stories go that Drew Henson would often get them in trouble that Tom Brady had to bail him out the game. And kind of the rest is history after that. But, but, but I say that it's not because then he goes, the world, the experts, the, the ones who know better than all of us start looking at every player. How good is he? How good can he be? What is his potential? How fast is he? How strong does he throw? As they're doing that and as they are looking over Tom Brady, <laughs> this was his draft report. Poor build, skinny. Can you see it there? Yeah. Lacks great physical stature and the ability to avoid the rush. I want you to just notice something about this. Almost everything on his draft report is still true to this day. <laughs>
Let that sink in. Lacks a really strong arm. Can't drive the ball downfield. Does not throw a really tight spiral. System type player who can get exposed if forced to ad lib. Gets knocked down easily. This is what the experts, the Samuels, looked at Tom Brady and this is how they graded him out. (laughs) Isn't that kind of funny? But don't take my word for it. We have a video of a few of the experts sharing their thoughts on Tom Brady. Watch this quick video. NFL Draft. The San Francisco 49ers were one of the teams looking for a quarterback. We knew all about Tom. Tom was from Sarah High School, right up the street here. At the Combine, when you watch Tom, (laughs) you saw this tall, gangly-looking kid. Looked like having ever seen a weight room. Ran a 5-2-something. One of the slowest quarterbacks in the Combine. There were some other guys that could shoot it, and he had just an okay arm. Did his coaches at Michigan really stand on the table and say, this is the greatest thing since Joe Montana? No, not even close. They had to decide if it was he or Drew Henson. We even had a local combine in San Francisco where the kids from the local colleges or the local high schools can come by and have a workout. And Tom was there. And Bill was there. We were all there. And Tom, to be quite honest, did nothing <laughs> that would say, hey, we need to draft this guy. His 40 time and that vertical jump in 32 years of doing this, we talked about 576 quarterbacks. He was number 576. <laughs> in 576 quarterbacks, he was number 576 in his vertical jump and whatever that run's called, the cone drill thing going on right there. That's the experts. That's what they could see. So when it comes draft day, he's being told behind the scenes he's a second or third round pick. He's expecting to be a second or third round pick. First round goes, second round goes, third round, fourth round, fifth round. At the beginning of the sixth round, he was so frustrated that he walked outside and left for a while. Took a baseball back because, again, he was a big baseball player. A lot of people don't know he was drafted into Major League Baseballs or Baseball, and people thought he would have been a high pick in that had he not committed to football. But he's, he goes outside, he's frustrated, and he's mad, and his parents have to walk him back in. And finally, at pick... Famously pick 199, Tom Brady is selected. Six quarterbacks are picked ahead of Tom Brady. In fact, Steve Mariucci, Mariucci, the guy for the 49ers that you just saw in the video, picked a quarterback well ahead of Tom Brady that looked the part on the outside. He was big and fast and strong and looked the part on the outside and also never even played a game in the regular season. Made it three seasons and was cut. Meanwhile... Pick 199, unless the people think New England is so smart. If they were so smart, they would have picked him in the first round. Pick 199, this kid comes in. Doesn't even, when you're at the end of the sixth round, which is where he was, you have no, there's no like, like you're going to make the team. Fights himself to death to make the team. Ends up being the fourth quarterback on a team where you don't usually keep four quarterbacks. Usually it's three if you know about football. You don't usually keep a fourth. But they were concerned. They thought, thought enough promise. They said if we, if we drop him, somebody else is going to pick him up, and we don't want that to happen. So they kept a fourth quarterback. Nobody saw it. The coaches didn't see it. He was the fourth quarterback. It wasn't until the next year that he had worked up to being the backup quarterback. 
And a very famous guy who they'd given a lot of money to by the name of Drew Bledsoe was the starting quarterback. Drew Bledsoe gets hurt. Tom Brady comes in. They go through the rest of the year, get to the Super Bowl, play a team known as the greatest show on turf, the St. Louis Rams of that time period, that everybody thought was going to win handedly. And probably the greatest upset in Super Bowl history, or at least one of them, was the first year Tom Brady got to play quarterback in the NFL. What, what is my point? This is not really a message about Tom Brady, and I don't want you to see it that way. My point is that nobody could see what was on the inside. Yeah. But yet you get this picture of a Tom Brady who also knew there was something more. You can't see it, but I know there's something. Some of you in this room are people that you have been neglected because of some outward quality, but you know there's more inside of you that God wants to use. There is greatness inside of you waiting to come out. Because you can't measure the heart. You can't put it under a microscope. You can't measure those kind of leadership qualities that change the future of a program or a team or a ministry or a house. You can't measure those things under a microscope. And so all of these boys in front of Samuel, they all look the part on the outside and Jesse brings them in one after another after another until finally they're all out. And, and Samuel's like, listen, God told me to come to your house and anoint one of your sons. What's going on here, Jesse? Do you have another son that you didn't bring in? And Jesse's like, and this is my opinion, probably kind of sheepishly, uh, yeah, but... <laughs> He's out there. We didn't call him. We left him out there to watch the sheep. We left him out there to watch the sheep. I just want to say this if you're taking notes. God will pick you from the pasture. It's funny to me. David is the most celebrated person in the Bible apart from Jesus Christ. There is more mentions of David in the Bible than anyone else apart from from Jesus Christ. 66 chapters in the Old Testament mention him and 59 chapters in the New Testament mention him. He is celebrated as a hero, a warrior, a fighter, a great leader, a powerful king who certainly had his flaws 100%, but he's a poet and a king writing many of the Psalms and David is celebrated as the man. But when we find him, the first time David is ever mentioned, the first time his name is ever in the Bible, where's he at? In the pasture. Not even invited to the party. Where are you at? Where are you at? It doesn't matter who knows you, who knows your name, who believes in you, where are you at? Because God can call you from where you're out. He can call you from the pasture into the palace. He can call you from the pasture into the promise that he has for you. It doesn't matter where you're at. It matters what he's called you to. Yeah. And this is the origin story of a champion. He doesn't come from the best conditions. <laughs> he doesn't come from the best family even. He's not the one who made straight A's that was voted most likely to succeed. He, everything's not perfect in his life. <laughs> shepherds were considered, considered menial and low. Like nowadays we celebrate shepherds and make them a place of honor because of Jesus' talk about shepherds. But at this time period, you gave your most menial person the task of being a shepherd. 
which is also an evidence that he was probably poor because if they had a servant, they would have given it to the servant, but instead they gave it to the youngest child and said, you go take care of that while the adults do the adult stuff. And so they're menial and they're low. Uh, they would be dirty all the time. They would be stinky. In fact, ritually, they would be unclean. They were not consecrated. They were unclean all the time. They would have sheep dung on their feet. They would have dirt under their fingernails. They would be dirty. And, and, and on top of that, David is growing up in this environment. Like, like we love to celebrate it, but, but I'll say it this way. David grew up in the hood. So what are you talking about? Like, like we neglect the fact that David killed a lion and a bear. And we're like, yeah, he killed a lion and a bear. He's a kid. He was fighting to survive, y'all. A lion and a bear come up, probably wolves and other animals at different times that aren't mentioned, but a lion and a bear come up. He was trying to survive his childhood and being sent out into the shepherd's fields. Come on. He was from the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak. He was a kid. He's between, uh, they, they say they don't know for sure, but nobody knows, but between ages 10 and 15, somewhere in that, um, he's, he's just a kid. And he doesn't have everything going for him but he has the calling of God. <laughs> See, you're not called because you come from the best place. You're called because Jesus sees your heart. God sees your heart. Some people are like, well, I didn't come from that family. I never went to college. I never, I, I just, so most people don't, you, you never knew me before I was Pastor Brent. So you hear stories or whatever, and it's always funny because people can't believe it, but I can only tell you this. Um, I got radically saved radically saved drugs alcohol a whole nine yards and all kinds of mess that I was in got radic radically saved and almost immediately got thrust into ministry sort of because I wanted to mostly because they had an empty spot and they pushed me into it so I got thrust into ministry <coughs> it's true and so I was a 20 year old youth pastor about 21 or so I met my wife we get we get married I, I met And so I'm like, so I'm, 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 a, I'm a youth pastor. Every person's like, no, you're not. Stop lying. No, 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 you're not a youth pastor. You Look at you.
I'm looking for you. Even in your muck and your mire and the grossness of your life, God has a way of coming to look for you. Favor will find you if God has called it to happen. David is mining his the sheep. Just doing what he's doing. that David might be the one. <laughs> and then he sends his sons or so you have now become consecrated by the Holy Spirit believers because somebody went out and chased you down and called you and said, come here this morning to hear this gospel message. And what if the gospel message is that God chooses you? Maybe the real reason was a divine setup. Because God said, all right, I got these people, but, but I'm still choosing this one right here. He works at a metal factory. He gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning. He doesn't think he's all that. He doesn't think he's all that important. He works at Tico. He works at the, the mechanic. She works at the beauty parlor. She, she, I, I see you, and you're just living life. And I'm saying, what if, what if God's saying, I choose you right there where you are? But it's funny because he gets the call. Brothers come, servants, whoever. Hey, David, you ain't going to believe this. But the prophet says none of us are the right ones. Maybe it's you. Come on up to the house with us. He wants to see you. Now, again, put yourself in the context. This is the biggest celebrity in Israel. <laughs> like he's Samuel's the man. Like people walk into his presence with fear and trembling. David is not consecrated. The other boys got all consecrated. They got all duddied up. They got their tuxedos on. They washed themselves. They clean. They're looking good. They, were, they were ready to be anointed, man. They were ready to go. David, he's got sheep dung on his feet. His hands are all dirty. He's a snotty-nosed little kid. His hair's probably sticking all up in weird places. And they're like, David, he's, he's calling on you. Here's the question. Does the outward appearance of David actually ruin his ability to go into the house? Does David himself say, I, I, I can't go like this. I, I can't go. Like, have you seen me? Like, you guys look all, you ever been in a party or an event where everybody's dressed up but you? And it is awkward as all get out. Like, you know, they're all in tuxes and you look like you're going to the beach in flip-flops and shorts and a tank top. And you're like, yeah, I'm not staying here very long. This is just awkward, right? This is David. This is David. Does he fight through the awkwardness of his outward appearance? Are y'all catching this? Yeah. To realize it's not about outward appearance. Yeah. 
We love to say it with Eliab. Eliab's like, yeah, yeah, he looked apart, but he wasn't God's man. But David specifically didn't look apart. I can't tell you how many times people tell me things or say things alluding to that I've got to get myself cleaned up to come to Christ. I'll follow Christ as soon as I stop drinking. I'll follow Christ as soon as I stop whatever. And as soon as I get my life together, I'll follow Christ. And they never follow Christ because they never get their life together because it's Christ who gets their life together. And that's the story of David right here. I'm dirty, I'm filthy, but you come to God in your dirtiness, in your filth, and he makes you holy. Samuel was the one to consecrate David, not David consecrating David. And he had to come with all of his garbage, all of his brokenness. He had to come that way into the presence of Samuel in order to find the consecration that he was looking for, in order to eventually be anointed as the next king. you got to understand this moment because David would never, ever be the same. Like he's going to go back to his life. We'll talk about that next week. He's going to go back to his life for sure, but he's not the same. He's, he has a future and a destiny that's been spoken over him that's greater than anything else that he could have imagined. So he might be watching sheep, but he's not watching sheep the way he used to be. This was the catalyst moment in his life that inwardly he would never ever be the same but does he go to Samuel he's a man after God's own he's a man after God's own heart because he was one who realized it wasn't about the outward appearance I can still come in because he's calling me the way I am I don't know who I'm talking to you in this room you got addictions, you got strongholds, you got brokenness, you got mess, you got DUIs, you got convictions, you got whatever. And you think, I can't come to God. He's calling you the way you are. Amen. Just just come, I'm calling you. In fact, in fact, check this out. He told the other brothers and the other people in the room, he said, we ain't sitting down till it gets here. Wow. For all the Christians in the room, that means we are not stopping working until God calls all of them in. Until so we go get them. But he said it's so important, we're not even going to sit down until he gets here. And David walks in the room and his life would be changed forever. And Samuel looks at him and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Samuel said, this is the one. Jesse said, Eliab is the one. Shammah is the one. God said, no, no, this is is the one, the one who doesn't have it all together on the outside, the one who doesn't, the one who's not old enough, the one who's not smart enough, the one who's not educated enough, the one who's, that's the story of the gospel, y'all. Yeah. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Paul's writing about these Christians. He said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and to despise things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God is still in the business of choosing people that nobody else would choose to do things that nobody else can do because the anointing of God rests on their life and it's more important what's inside than what's outside. So I don't even speak English very well. You think that matters to God? It'll make you speak in tongues to people. 
I don't have enough money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and can take care of it. I don't have enough education. We got a whole school of ministry here for you. So I don't have this. It will make every excuse in the world when what I'm telling you is God has put greatness inside of you and it's time to come to him and begin letting it out. God chooses you. The question was, now will you choose because that's the question of David. Samuel chose David. Samuel knew that there was another one and it had to be him. But David still had to choose to come. Will you choose to come? Stand up with me around the room if you would. you're missing the whole point of this. David walks in and is anointed in front of his brother. What's happened here? What's going on with him? When you really give your life to Christ, there will be friends that will make fun of you, that will laugh at you, that will think you are crazy because they don't see in you what God sees in you. You cannot worry about what they think about you. That does not matter. When I gave my life to Christ, suddenly I threw away all kinds of drugs, alcohol, and pornography, and all kinds of things. And I also had to lose a lot of friends because they could not see in me what God was doing in me. All they could see was the outward appearance. Who is the one? that God is calling out to you and saying, you are the one. And you know it even in this moment. This is your chance. This is your opportunity that your rest of your life would never be the same. Before David could be king, he had to be chosen. Before David could, could, could defeat Goliath and be a great warrior in battle and all the other things he did, he had to be chosen in this moment. He had to choose to walk off the pasture and into the house so that God, so that God could anoint him through Samuel. Will you run to God? Come to the house. Come to God this morning. Bow your heads with me if you will. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. Man, we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.